Welcome to Food for Thought. Your table is now ready. Your servers will be Nate Geary and Bruce Nolan. Our specials today are cold, hard facts and fresh, hot takes. Can I get you started with... I'm sorry, just one moment. Can I get a little energy in here? Serving it up to you live on the Buffalo Rumblings Vidcast Network. I'm Bruce Nolan. That's not Nate Geary, but this is still Food for Thought, a show combining two of your three favorite F-words. That's right, food and football. The third one is obviously Final Fantasy because we're nerds, so that's the way that works. Joining me tonight is special guest host. Joe Marino from the Draft Network. And I got to be honest, I feel like I'm going to get a complex because if any of you notice this, Nate frequently abandons me at this point. Like he's just gone all the Mm. time. And I'm level with you, Joe. I feel like I'm starting to get a complex. Is it me? I have a feeling this could be the best episode of Food for Thought there ever was. (laughs) And, And look, if that's because Nate's not here, then that's on him, you know? Oh, yes. Yeah. Well, and the worst part, of course, is that he he messaged me earlier this week saying that his girlfriend had surprised him with John Mayer tickets in Pittsburgh and the concert ended up getting canceled. So for all I know, he could be roaming around in the comments section tonight just trying to troll me with the food takes that he doesn't like. But he probably just decided it was a night off. So he said he owes me a night off. I said, Nate, no, no, no. You owe me multiple nights off at this point. We are not even close to being even. When I saw him tweet, I think it was on maybe Thursday night that the John Mayer concert was canceled. I was like, oh, no, (laughs) I hope that doesn't mean I got canceled for food for thought on a Friday night. So uh, I'm glad that he is uh, doing something fun, hopefully, and uh, that I still had a chance to come on here and uh, participate in what is a, a show that I enjoy consuming. And now I'm excited to be on it. Loyalty is rewarded here. And you know what? Sometimes people are not not loyal. And, you know, we're not going to name any Nathaniel names, but Geary, if we were naming names, then we would say loyalty is rewarded and be careful to those who are disloyal. Okay, so as we move forward, reminder, do me a favor, press all the engagement buttons and stuff, right? Like, subscribe, rate, review. But as Nate announced on Twitter earlier this week, we have a giveaway promotion. And specifically, Genesee Brewery, who is the sponsor of this show, decided that they were going to be oh so gracious to us and provide us with an absolute metric ton of pint glasses. And we said, well, we'll go give them away to the listeners. So here's the way it works. Any super chat on YouTube, greater than $5, you get a Genesee pint glass. Here's the way it works. You got a screenshot, the super chat, and screenshot you following at Genesee Brewery on Twitter, and then DM it to at Nate Geary Sports with your address, and he will send you a pint glass, a Genesee pint glass right there, courtesy of Food for Thought and our partners at Genesee Brewery. Since 1878, Genesee has poured generations of brewing knowledge into each pint, can, and bottle of their beer. They make no sacrifices when it comes to their beer, brewing each with the highest quality ingredients for a consistently great drinking experience. Look for Genesee Beer, Genesee Light, Cream Ale, and their specialty line with beers like Ruby Red Kolsch and Oktoberfest. Genesee Brewery, Rochester, New York. Now, Joe, we're going to kick it off and we're going to get started because we want to talk about rut-busting food. Now, why on earth would I want to open this by talking about rut-busting food? Because sometimes the off-season can be a grind. And sometimes the off-season makes you think that you need something to spice it up. You got to get out of your slump. Now, you, Mr. Marino, when you say, you know what, I'm in a slump with food. Nothing sounds good. I feel like I've had the same old, same old. I have fallen into the mediocrity of routine. And I need something to snap me out of it. Joe, where do you go? It's a timely question, Bruce, um, because 
football season very much can be a rut for me as far as the variety of foods that I consume because I'm extremely busy and um, I don't really take a lot of time to contribute to the cooking. And so it's whatever the wife prepares, a lot of crock pot type stuff. But I do want to say something right off the bat here when it comes to rut busting food. I think one of the problems and reasons that people get into a rut with their food is because they think food is seasonal. And I'm here to tell you that I don't think any food should be seasonal. If you want chili and soup in July, then you do you. If you want to grill out in January, then nothing should stop you. And I will also extend this to one more thing. And I know that you're not the biggest Thanksgiving food guy, but I definitely am. And I don't limit Thanksgiving to just the last Thursday in November. I like to have Thanksgiving a few times a year where there's no reason for us not to have turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes and whatever else you like in February or in March. So I had to get those two takes out there because I think sometimes people get in food ruts because they are too married to seasonal foods and that doesn't have to be the case. And so I don't, I like to grill. That's kind of my thing. That's where I feel like I can contribute the most as far as preparing food. And I don't get to grill much during football season because of how busy I am. And my, like I said, my wife does a lot of crock pot stuff, but now the season's over. And when I'm ready to start firing up the grill and getting back into it, my go-to is always the same grilled chicken that was marinated in Italian dressing or ribeyes, pasta salad, grilled corn on the cob, watermelon. That is my go-to. It's time to get out of football season. I'm contributing with the cooking. It's either grilled chicken or steak, pasta salad, corn on the cob, and watermelon. First off, just I want us to say this. <laughs> I'm going to stand for a second. Hold on. Cheers. Okay. That's right. Standing ovation for Mr. Marino. Anyone who's been following me for any sort of length of time will know that the adherence to a strict food calendar is something that I believe society has brought upon themselves to rob themselves of joy. And so for me, I am all about the first take, which is that you have whatever you want, whenever you want, because if it makes you happy, it makes you happy. Now, for me, my rut-busting food is something ethnic. So for me, I think that a lot of times there are specific types of food that I just can't make at home quite the same. Ethiopian food, Lebanese food, Thai food, things like that. I just can't make them at home as well as I can make them out. And if I can get them out and I got to get out of a rut, I got to try something new. I got to have some sort of different flavor palette. How better to do that than to go to a place that is markedly different than the vast majority of places that I would otherwise frequent. My wife, a little bit of an adventurous person when it comes to food. She's willing to try it. Now, the problem is if she finds something she likes, she just gets that one thing forever and ever and ever. <laughs> but as far as actually going to new restaurants, she's overall a pretty good sport about it, right? Turkish food, Thai food. Recently, she went to her first Thai restaurant a couple months ago. She had never had Thai food before in her life. Now, she didn't enjoy what she got, but she's willing to go back and try again because it was an adventure. And we like to have those types of adventures together. You might argue it's the only type of adventure that I actually like in my life. So for me, the rut busting comes from the fact that I get something that I cannot duplicate. I get something that I cannot do at home as well as I can get it out. Do you know what else I can't duplicate is the fact that Joe Marino wrote a book <laughs> he wrote a book, and if you're if you're watching on YouTube, you can see that Joe Marino's flair here at the bottom is buffalobillsbook.com. Joe, why don't you take a second and just tell us about what the listeners and the viewers are going to find when they go to buffalobillsbook.com. Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity to, uh, to talk about it here briefly, Bruce. Uh, the name of the book is Go Bills. You can pre-order it now at buffalobillsbook.com. And what it is is cover to cover – the history of the Buffalo Bills through my analysis of every season and a lot of amazing pictures, a lot of great photography in there. And so 
you can get this book and, and pre-order it and relive every season all the way back to 1960 through 2021, where I will summarize the biggest storylines of that season, give you the starting lineup, statistical leaders, key acquisitions. And at any point you want to go back and be reminded of what happened in 71 or 92 or 99 or whatever year, you'll be able to relive that. And there's all decade teams and it's been a really fun process writing it and becoming a student of the Buffalo Bills. Um, it's uh, It's been really, really fun. And, and there's a lot of great incentives to pre-order right now. Uh, it comes out in August. And so, you know, good idea to go ahead and order a few copies, maybe in anticipation of Christmas. It's a great book to have on a coffee table or a bookshelf. And um, really excited for everyone to get their hands on it. And um, it's been a lot of work, but it's been very rewarding. And uh, I'm excited to have the opportunity to tell the story of the Buffalo Bills through what I thought was the most important stuff. And, you know, that there's a big emphasis on the roster construction piece of it. And I'll tell you what, that's been my favorite part is going back through and seeing the different acquisitions and seeing how Bill Polian beat the team and then or built the team and how Jerry Butler took over or John Butler, excuse me. And throughout all the different general managers and how they interacted with Ralph Wilson, a lot of great stuff in that book. And I can't wait for everyone to get it. Well, I will be on the pre-order list. So thank you for taking the time and sharing that with us, but we're going to move on because let's be honest. If every single episode had a, if blank was a food, then you knew ahead of time that this was coming when we had an opportunity to have Joe Marino on. And that is, if draft season was a food, what kind of food would it be? And I'm going to go first on this one. For me, personally, if draft season, which we are now smack dab in the middle, because it overlaps with free agency. For a lot of people, draft season doesn't start until free agency ends. And I say, no, no. You're not leaving nearly enough. First off, for me, draft season starts in August. For you, it starts in May, That's right? right? <laughs> and for some people, it doesn't even start until free agency is over. I said, no, 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 no. We're doing it all wrong. Here's what draft season is if it was a food. The draft season is a four-course meal for someone with a sweet tooth. And I'll tell you what I mean by that. So I don't know anybody in the world who is still hungry at the end of a four-course meal. Nobody in the nobody in the world is going to be still hungry after a four course meal. You get to that fourth course, you're stuffed, but you have a sweet tooth, which means even though you have seen over and over and over again, the food going up from the fork into your mouth or from the spoon into your mouth and you've consumed and you've consumed and you've consumed and maybe you're even a little fatigued by the time you get to the end of it. It's still the best part. No matter how much you watch and you watch and you listen to draft dudes and other podcasts about the draft and you watch ESPN and you watch all this stuff, no matter how much information you take in about the draft, the actual draft's still the best part. No matter how stuffed you are, no matter how full you are, the end of it is still the best part. So for me, draft season is a four course meal for somebody with a sweet tooth. Joe, what about you? All right. So if draft season was a food to me, it would be mystery jelly beans. And the reason I picked mystery jelly beans is because you can go through a container of mystery jelly beans and hopefully everybody knows what they are. It's, it's these packages of jelly beans that include normal jelly beans, but they also include non-normal jelly beans. In fact, I have um, I have a, a, a case of it here, not necessarily with me, but on my screen to give you an idea. There are uh, everything from spoiled milk to caramel to rotten egg to buttered popcorn, cherry, uh, lawn clippings, barf. I mean, there is such a variety of options here. And so the reason I compare this to draft season is because you can like everything about the jelly beans you select, but at the end of the day, there is a brow, a broad range of outcomes. That orange jelly bean, it could be strawberry banana smoothie, or it could be flavored like dead fish. That green jelly bean, it could be lime flavored or pear flavored, or it could be booger flavored or lawn clippings flavored. The same can be said about prospects. You can like so many of the variables about a prospect, but there is a wide range of outcomes for what that player can become. And so much of that is fit, 
opportunity, the entire context of the situation that they're entering. And I just think there's that, that, that wide range of outcomes, and a lot of it's a mystery. We're talking about human beings. You, you don't know how they're going to respond. You have no idea how you're going to respond when somebody comes instantly a millionaire overnight. I heard a quote one time that stuck with me. It said, if you haven't missed, then you haven't scouted. And so if draft season was a food, it's mystery jelly beans because you just don't know what you're going to get. But the chance that that jelly bean's going to be really good keeps you coming back because it might be lime, but it might be lawn clippings. Oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Everyone knows the food metaphors are the reason you come to Food for Thought. (laughs) The reason you show up for Food for Thought is for the food metaphors. So we put a lot of work into them, and we want to make sure that they're clever and they're fun. And Joe understood the assignment. He absolutely understood the assignment. It's important to note that Food for Thought is brought to you by Genesee Brewery Company, but, but we don't have anybody on the Genesee Brewery Company hotline tonight. Because we don't have a guest. If we did, they would have been brought to you by, you guessed it, the Genesee Brewing Company. Look for Genesee Springbok in stores and at bars and restaurants today. Genesee beer brewed for generations. Moving along. You know, I don't think there's ever going to be a time when I can pop on Twitter (laughs) and I cannot say that there's a Tremaine Edmonds discussion going on. You can say that Hey, you know, it's really been hot this week with Tremaine Edmonds, but quite frankly, that's every week, literally every week. He may be the most hot button Buffalo Bills player since Josh Allen has established himself as the franchise quarterback. And so now that Josh Allen doesn't have this constant, is he or isn't he back and forth, the vacuum has been filled with Tremaine Edmonds discussion. And so Tremaine Edmonds' discussion is interpreted differently by different people. But for the food simile for this week, we are going to finish the sentence. The Tremaine Edmonds conversation around Bill's Mafia makes me feel like what? Joe, you're going to be first. Mm. First of all, the Tremaine Edmonds conversation is pretty crazy, and I'm kind of at the point where I just avoid it. I mean, there's so many wide-ranging viewpoints, and I'm not sure anyone's mind is going to be changed. And so you're going to think what you're going to think, and um, that's probably it. So I pretty much avoid those. But I will chime in here on what the conversations, the Tremaine Edmonds conversations around Bill's Mafia makes me feel like blue cheese. Some people love blue cheese, Bruce, and they frown at anyone that doesn't like it. Some people hate blue cheese, and they think it's disgusting and don't know why they are shamed as a human for preferring ranch. But here's the reality of the situation that doesn't get enough attention when we talk about blue cheese. Blue cheese outside of western New York is not the same as in western New York. When I'm in Buffalo, I can't get enough blue cheese. I want to bury myself inside of it and eat my way out. When I'm elsewhere, I am afraid to order blue cheese, and I go for ranch instead because blue cheese is typically disgusting outside of Western New York. So tying this back to the conversation surrounding Tremaine Edmonds, you have to see him through the correct lens to appreciate what he is as a player. There is a large gap. I've even went as far as to call it a chasm, Bruce, as people will learn when they listen to Lockdown Bills on Monday with you and I talking Bills defense, and we get into this a little bit. There's a wide gap between how a large section of Bill's Mafia views Tremaine and how I believe the team perceives Tremaine. But when you have an understanding of what he's asked to do against the run and the pass and what he means to the communication of the defense, he matters a ton even if he doesn't make every play that you want him to make. So the chatter around Tremaine to me is like blue cheese because of the wide-ranging opinions, but if you enjoy it through the proper lens, it can change your perspective. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. For the second time tonight, Joe Marino understood the assignment. He brought the metaphors. (laughs) For me, the conversation 
around Tremaine Edmonds in Bill's Mafia makes me feel like I am listening to a rare steak aficionado argue with a well-done steak aficionado. That's what it feels like to me. I am sitting here listening to people who think that their steak should best be taken in a fashion that a really good vet could probably get it back on its feet versus the people who feel like the closest reasonable texture proximity to a correctly cooked steak is some sort of shoe leather. And they are yelling at each other about (laughs) blood versus texture. And they're sitting here screaming at each other that they're not real men if they don't take their steak a specific way. That right there is what I feel like because I'm sitting here in the middle going, does no one like steak medium anymore? Is that where we're at now as a society? No one can accept medium steaks. It's always got to be well done or rare. Tremaine Evans has to be elite or trash. Like, is that really where we're at now? Have we completely lost the idea that there's anything other than trash or elite? And if you defend him, you must think he's elite. And if you have questions with him, you must think he's trash. And so if I go to the well-done steak guy and go, well, you know, I just don't really you know, love the, the texture really of a, of a well-done steak. It kind of feels like it you know, loses a little bit of that juiciness. Oh, okay, so you want it bloody then. Well, no, that's not what I said. And if you go to the people who want it rare and you go, you know, that, that, that feels maybe, maybe I should get a little bit more cook on. Well, that's not real meat. Now you're ruining the flavor. I go, well, hold on now. Why is medium not a thing anymore? Why is fine not a thing anymore? Why can't I be something other than rare, bleeding, and mooing, or gone through nuclear winter and needs to be jerky? Why on earth can I not live in a happy medium between those things? So for me, when I think about the Tremaine Emmett's conversation around Bill's Mafia, what I say is, it feels like I'm listening to a rare steak aficionado argue, scream, and insult with, back and forth, a well-done steak aficionado. Now, I know it wasn't as good as yours, Joe, but how did I do? I like it. I liked it, Bruce. Um, I want to ask you a question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and this, is, this is along the Tremaine Edmonds conversation. Do you think that this is just an example of us as a fan base, Bill's mafia continuing to learn how to root for a good football team. And we're at the point where we just kind of don't know what to do. And Tremaine Edmonds doesn't make every play that you want him to. And he was a top 20 pick and the bills traded up for him. And he's got super freaky physical traits, but you, you wish that he was more consistent. And so he's just the target right now. Or like if Tremaine Edmonds was on the 20, 12 Buffalo Bills. How would we be talking about Tremaine Edmonds compared I think to today? The, I think that you're right. And I think that the mean talent level of the Buffalo Bills going up changes our dynamic for Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah. I, I think if this, this is on the 2012 team, Tremaine Edmonds is viewed very, very differently. I know this because Tremaine Edmonds is a better linebacker than Paul Puzlesny will was. And <laughs> I, I remember, and yeah. I remember how we felt about Paul Puzlesny. And Tremaine Edmonds is, I don't know if that's a hot take or not. Tremaine Edmonds is better than Paul Puzlesny. I I don't think that's a hot take, but maybe it is. But I know how we felt about Paul Puzlesny because it's about that data point. How good is this player relative to the mean? And as the team gets better and better and better quality players, we don't look at the dot anymore. We look at the dot relative to the mean. And because now the Buffalo Bills have superstar players, Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, Deion Dawkins is a really good left tackle. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are two of the top 10 safeties in the NFL, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I think Micah Hyde is maybe the most underrated player in football. You know how I feel about Micah Hyde. Tredavious White's a star. Ed Oliver is a burgeoning star. Dawson Knox broke out. And so when you look at all these players who are really, really, really good, it's almost like we're just comparing Tremaine to the mean instead of just the dot where he is. So I do think it matters. I think the average talent level on the team has changed because we don't really deal with how good he is in a vacuum. We deal with how good he is relative to the rest of the team. 
I'll take this to a kind of a strange place. If you'll indulge me here for a second, it, it reminds me a little bit of 2018 cornerback situation where it was Trey white. Everyone was excited about him. And then opposite of him, it was, wasn't that Vontae Davis to start the year. And then it became Philip Gaines. And then that other guy whose name escapes me that wound up sticking around for a while and got cut and then went to new England. And then all of a sudden Levi Wallace came around and you're like, Whoa, Levi Wallace has stabilized the CB2 position. And this is really great because it really sucked having Philip Gaines and Vontae Davis and whoever that other guy is who, whose name escapes me right now. He stabilized it. And then three years later, it's like, oh, well, I want more. I want I want better than Levi Wallace. And I understand that that's a whole nother conversation. But relatively speaking, just that that uh, exactly what you're talking about with the stabilization of the of the play and and how the the mean talent of the roster is coming up and how that affects the way that we look at players because the talent on the team is better and and you don't feel like you you want to settle anywhere but in reality that's kind of the NFL. Ryan Lewis is that's the name, name you're thinking of. Yeah, Ryan Lewis. Yeah. Leave it to me to remember all of the cornerback names. <laughs> <laughs> there is no cornerback who will escape my memory when it comes to the Buffalo Bills. No, 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 no. Definitely not. Okay. Now, we are going to move toward the Q&A section, and I have an email that I want to go through. But in the meantime, while I'm pulling up this email, if you are in the comment section here on YouTube with us and you would like to ask a question, make sure you drop it in the comment section. So, Joe, I got an email from Randall, and Randall said, Hi, Bruce. I was thinking about the draft and how many picks the Bills have, as well as how many drafted Bills players have been claimed off the practice squad over the past couple of years. It feels like their practice squad was particularly rated this past season. The Bills lost at least three players off their practice squad during the 2021 season, whom they used a draft pick to acquire. It made me curious about why there's no compensation for these types of losses. Then it got me thinking, if the Bills have a deep roster, and are losing drafted players who have been placed on the practice squad without getting compensation, then why not consolidate those later round picks for improving draft position in the first few rounds or adding an additional third or fourth round pick? I get the desire to have more total draft picks to get more kicks at the can, but it seems like a bit of a waste to not have the chance to develop a player for the full term of a rookie contract because he can be acquired with no returning compensation. I also understand that relying on UDFAs to fill out training camp spots would yield worse competition since the better UDFAs are going to organizations where they have less competition to land one of the final roster spots. It's honestly a pretty nice situation that the Bills have themselves in. It's just unfortunate that they get nothing in return after spending an asset on one of them. Curious about your thoughts. Thanks and go Bills. Joe, I will let you respond first. It's a really good question, and the, and the first thing that comes to mind here is Brandon being traded back last year, and I can't remember exactly when it was, but when he explained why he did it, the thought process was, well, undrafted free agents don't want to come here, and they know that there's not a great chance for them to make the roster, and so we traded back so that we would have some extra late picks. That way we can secure some of the players that – we're just not going to be able to sign because they're not going to come here because they know that they're not going to be able to make the team. And so we just kind of wanted to force it a little bit. And I understand that logic, but the backfire to that is exactly what happened this year where the bills lost three draft picks and Jake Fromm, Richard wild goose and, and Jack Anderson to other teams. And there was no nothing given for them. They just, they're gone. And so I think it's a different, difficult thing to balance. Um, I think there's a good argument to be made that, well, maybe use some of those late day picks to move up in the middle rounds and really cap yourself at five or six draft picks because you know that there's only going to be room for that many players. But I see the other side of the coin too, Bruce. And I know the Bills have done everything they can to limit injuries. And they've been really, really fortunate. And I think that the sample size of Small amounts of injuries is big enough at this point for me to acknowledge that the Bills are absolutely doing something right to prevent injuries, or at least doing everything that they can. But I think some of the, the, the Bills' roster construction, especially this past year, caught Brandon Bean by surprise that the team was so healthy. 
I don't think that they intended on every one of those defensive ends being healthy for the start of the season and being at the point where they had to trade away Daryl Johnson in roster, what, six defensive ends and sometimes having a couple of them inactive. And so you preach all the time about how needs become, not needs become needs really, really quick in the NFL. And so as I try to balance all that together, I, I don't feel like I've answered the question because I really do see both sides of the coin here. One side note while we were talking about this, um, Gregory Rousseau actually went on record and said that one of the things that the Bills do a little differently than other teams is that they do not do any squats at all during the season. They completely eliminate squats during the season. They do power cleans, deadlifts, hand cleans, and bench press, but no squats because the trainers did a study and they said that they believe that cutting down on squats would really cut down on lower body injuries during the season. And it turned out they were right. So the Bills are actually doing some preventative stuff differently than potentially other teams. Because as far as I know, that is not a common practice across the NFL. Someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But I thought that was really interesting. Now, in regards to this particular email, I, like you, see both sides of this. I will say that it feels a little fluky for the Buffalo Bills to lose three draft drafted players in one season off the practice squad. That does feel a little fluky. So I don't know if there's significant sample size enough to know that that would happen every year if the Bills continued along the strategy that they have. However, like you, I see both sides of it. The way that I particularly view this is if you have a player and it's day three, early day three, who is sticking out like a sore thumb and you believe that you can go get him, then sure, by all means, package up a couple day three picks, go up and get your guy. If you don't, if it comes down to your spot in the fifth round and you just don't feel strongly about somebody, then by all means, trade back, get more bites at the apple. You can have your cake and eat it too. If there's somebody sticking out on your board and you're like, no, there's there's no way this person should be here. We we really think that he has a chance to actually like contribute. Let's go get him. And if not, you can always trade back and you can feel better about the fact that you have those extra bodies that you didn't think you were probably going to be able to get if they made it to the second draft, right? It's much like hobbits say they want second breakfast. UDFAs are second draft. So that's my general philosophy on that. Um, we are going to move along and we're making unbelievable time, quite frankly. And the reason we're making unbelievable great time is because we're so precise, Joe, you and I, we're just bam, 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 wham, bam. Thank you, ma'am. Here we go. But the final segment of the evening is going to be the digestive. And we are going to talk about the same thing we always talk about, which is winners and losers from this week in the NFL. Joe, you want to start with winners or you start with losers? Mm, I like my answer for both. Um, let me start. Can I start with losers? I hate to sure. end on a start on a with bad losers. Note. Let's go. I think the loser in the NFL this week, and this sparked uh, based on something that happened literally today. The losers are any team that was looking for an economic upgrade to bolster their tight end depth chart and free agency yeah. based, based on this Ian Thomas deal with the Carolina Panthers, a tight end for them. They drafted him uh, four years ago, a mid round draft pick. And <laughs> He's not been a productive player. They signed him to a three-year, $16.5 million deal, $6.4 million in cash in year one, and $8 million fully guaranteed. So Ian Thomas, he hasn't missed a game in the NFL. He also hasn't had over 200 receiving yards since his rookie season. Carolina Panthers quarterbacks have a passer rating of 57.9 when targeting him over the last three seasons. He's a below-average run blocker. The best thing he does is help in pass protection. And this man is now the 16th highest paid tight end in the NFL in terms of average annual salary. So the loser this week is the people who thought you can get Will Disley for $3 million or something like that. Because if Ian Thomas is pulling three years, 16 and a half with six and a half, you know, coming his way in year one, the tight end market's about to get really, really strange. There's no reason why Ian Thomas should be the 16th highest paid tight end in the NFL. This is a fringe tight end two. That has not proven to give any value in the passing game whatsoever over the last three seasons, and he has not been injured. 
So based on this, Dawson Knox is going to sign for forty million, forty million a season, right? Here we go. Well, yeah, let's go. I, I you talk? I think you start talking to him right now. I'll tell you that because it only goes up, especially with Mike Gesicki getting a deal this offseason. Darren Waller is going to hold out for you know big money. So if the Bills can get it done, if Dawson Knox is willing, I think you get that deal done as soon as possible. When it comes to extensions, I would say Dawson Knox, Stephon Diggs, Ed Oliver. Jordan All Poyer. before Tremaine Edmonds at this point, to be honest. Jordan Poyer, too. Jordan Poyer. I'll take Jordan Poyer. I'll take another year of Micah Hyde, too, if you want to just throw another throw another year on that. But for me, not, not that I was plugging for Micah Hyde. I would never do that. For me, the biggest loser this week in the NFL, I'm going to go with Kenny Pickett. And the reason I'm going with Kenny Pickett is because there are still, still articles and discussions happening to this day about Kenny Pickett's hand size. Right now, the Steelers GM actually had to comment on the hand size of Kenny Pickett on the record three days ago. Why? Because Kenny Pickett somehow thinks his hands are going to grow between the measurements associated with the Senior Bowl and the measurements with Combine. Now, I understand that there was something with the thumb and everything, but guess what? Everybody knows that. But by delaying it, by deciding that you didn't want to just go there, you're pulling the same thing that Kyler Murray did about his height, and the same thing that was it Devonta Smith did yep. about his weight, right? You're just allowing the narrative to just kind of snowball and pile. And if you get it done early and you rip the Band-Aid off, then nobody would be talking about it right now. But now, instead of the combine being dominated by your arm and your throwers, and you're, okay, you compared all these other, you're going to line these quarterbacks up, we're going to compete, and we're going to see who the best is. Instead, we're talking about your hand size. Yep. So from a public relations standpoint, I do not understand why prospects continue to do this. You're not going to get taller in four weeks. You're probably not going to put on weight in four weeks. And if you did, it's going to be bad weight, and it's going to hurt your ability to run. Because guess what? You can fake it all you want, but guess what happened to Aaron Maben? Right, he put on that weight. He ran like garbage, and chances are that the Buffalo Bills were the only team who was going to pick him. You have to rely on something to happen like that, because Aaron Maben on film didn't look anything like Aaron Maben when he showed up at the combine because he put on like twenty-two pounds. Now he looked great, but he ran like garbage because everyone knows it's fake weight. So get it out of the way early, get the narrative over with, and move on. For me. Kenny Pickett. How did I do? What do you think about Kenny Pickett? Yeah, I like, I like, I like that. Um, I wish he would have measured at the Senior Bowl. He knew he was going to have the opportunity to measure at the Senior Bowl. He knew he had to measure at the Combine. So whatever he thinks he's going to accomplish between the Senior Bowl and the Combine, he should have done between the end of the season and the Senior Bowl. And I think that was a major missed opportunity. And here's the thing. At this point, whatever Kenny Pickett's going to do in terms of stretching his hands out to maximize that ability to measure, he better hit nine inches. He better hit nine inches. Whatever he's going to get done, you know, in terms of stretches or whatever's going to happen, he better hit nine inches. Because if you took this time off to remain eight and a quarter, that's not great, man. That that was uh, that was poor process and results. Have you ever measured your own hand size, Joe? Oh yeah, all the time. What, what, what's your hand size? <laughs> I have eight and a quarter inch hands, Bruce. Okay, so you and you and Kenny Pickett then. Maybe they maybe, maybe same, same thing. That's why I feel so strongly about this. I and I'll tell you what. And here's the thing: there's a big difference between me and Kenny Pickett because Kenny Pickett's been throwing footballs his entire life, where I'd never have, right? I never played quarterback. So he's used to his his grip and his hands are much more equipped to grip an NFL football. But when I have an NFL football in my hand, I feel like I'm holding a, a cinder block, man. It's huge. I can't consistently do what I want to because I don't I can't get enough on the ball. So as a as a fellow eight and a quarter inch hander, this happened to me at the senior bowl, to be honest with you, like probably five years ago. I'm in the stands, I'm in the end zone, and they kicked the, you know, the kickers are doing field goals and, and the ball came to me. And you know what you got to do? You got to throw it back on the field. I got that ball in my hand and I'm like, holy shnikes, like this is a massive thing. It was probably the first time I'd held an NFL football in 10 years. And I had to throw it back, and it wasn't a pretty throw. And I had the opportunity to do it again this year. I was on the field on Thursday during practice, and I had a ball come to me, and I had to give it back. You know what I did, Bruce? I underhanded that thing. There you go. I under there you go. That's the way. I'm not, not going to get caught on film here, you know? 
So I get it, man. It's a big ball, man. Hand size matters. Everybody's worried about getting gift up like Conor McGregor at a Cowboys game. Everybody's think, worried. Think about Everybody's it all worried. the time. All the time. So fun little Bruce story on the side. So I did not play quarterback when I played football. Uh, this has been well established. I was a defensive back when I played. But um, I did play on offense occasionally. And our quarterback actually got hurt. And we decided not to throw anymore. So guess who was a, a fairly good athlete who could run the ball and could play a little bit of option stuff? Well, Bruce was. Hmm. So I got a chance to play quarterback for my team for a little bit because we didn't call any pass plays, but there was a lot of speed option stuff. That was I don't know if that dates me at all. So we were in the speed option when I was when I was doing things like that. But I had a chance to play a little play a little quarterback. And I thought to myself, gee, you know, I don't. I don't know if I really want to throw this ball at the time because I have a strangely shaped hand. So I have exceptionally long thumbs relative oh. to the rest of my fingers. It's a fun little Bruce long fact. thumbs, exceptionally long thumbs. My thumb is basically the same distance from my hand as my middle finger, which is exceptional. Yeah. So, so yeah. So imagine if your, your what? thumb is, yeah, my thumb is long. We, relative you robbed us. You gave us the elbow pick. We needed the thumb pick, my guy. Yeah. So my thumb is is fairly long relative to the rest of my fingers, right? Chucky Ten Thumbs was a lovely little nickname for Bruce when I was in school because my thumb is exceptionally long relative to the rest of my fingers. But I have never once measured my hand size from thumb to pinky. Not a single time. I have no idea. I think that it would actually be fool's gold. I think that my thumb to pinky measurement would actually indicate that I had larger hands than I actually do because the fingers are actually fairly short relative to how big my thumb is. So right now on YouTube, if you're missing it, Joe is actually measuring his hand right is. now on YouTube. Can you see, I can see it. What I mean, what would it be eight and a quarter, right? Eight and a quarter. I mean, I'm sitting here doing it like a regular human. Yeah, I'm, I'm eight and a quarter. Yeah, so that's a fun little uh, Bruce aside for those of you who are here. Here, So we're going to go to winners, and it's not going to be Bruce for that wonderful thumb story. For me, the winner this week in the NFL was Sean McVay. And the reason that Sean McVay was winner, I actually had somebody else written down until some news broke that Amazon was considering making him a $20 million a year offer to be a broadcaster. The fact that Sean McVay has that in his back pocket is better <laughs> leverage than any college or NFL coach has ever, ever had to negotiate more extensions with their existing team. We see this all the time. Jim Harbaugh flirts with the Vikings, come back, get some money. Other college coaches flirt with the NFL, come back, get some money. Flirt with bigger schools, come back, get money. We saw it with Mel Tucker. We see it all the time in college football. We see it a little bit less in pro football, but nothing can compare with your ability to flirt with broadcasting. Hi, I will make twice as much money and work a third as much as I do. Can you top that, Los Angeles? It's a little bit like saying, okay, I'm a four, okay? And I'm at a party with a girl and the girl and I, we've been talking, we've been talking and she's a six, right? And, but then all of a sudden I'm flirting with a nine and she's like, well, man, I gotta, you know, whew, I gotta step up my game a little bit. But if it's Amazon offering you $20 million a year, it's like flirting with a 12 and they're like, I gotta step up my game. I gotta do, you know what, honey? Yes, I will watch that football game with you. Yes, honey. We can go see the Avengers. I guess I'm, I'm cool with that. I'm willing to step up my game. I'm willing to take the game to the next level. We can do all those things you wanted to do. That's the way it feels for Sean McVay. Now, I'm a happily married man. I don't go to parties and flirt with people. In fact, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever been to a party. Like that kind of party. Like a like an adult hang around, like a college party or anything like that. I didn't stay at a dorm, so I didn't do any of that stuff in college. So now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever been to a party. So I don't know how any of this works. I could be completely screwing up this metaphor. But biggest winner this week, Sean McVay, for that reason. Joe, what you got? Sean McVay is always going to have that in his back pocket. And, and good for you, my guy. Good for you. My winner in the NFL this week are the NFL prospects that were hoping to participate at the NFL scouting combine for the league. 
pivoting from their original decision to um, bubble the, the players and expect them to come in and perform at their optimal ability and not have the typical support systems that they have in place. That was a, it was going to be a real problem. You're going to see a massive boycott and, you know, the NFL is trying to make this combine a moneymaker for them and they need participation from players. And I'll be honest with you. I think the players need to participate. And I went on a rant this week on draft dudes and I'll, I'll somewhat replicate it right here, but the NFL scouting combine matters, and it matters for a lot of reasons that we don't get to see in terms of the interviews and in the medicals. That stuff is paramount, but testing matters too. Because number one, you can't sit here and tell me that you're pro analytics and anti combine. That doesn't make sense. There are absolutely qualifiers that exist with your athletic testing and your size measurements. There is a likelihood of success based on your testing numbers and how you measure. It's absolutely right in line with analytics. So yes, it absolutely matters. But also you as a prospect will likely never have the opportunity again to work out in front of every general manager, every coach, every scout, everybody who's everybody in the NFL. You'll never have that chance to do that outside of that field in Indianapolis. And so the NFL changing their original decision has been a major benefit to the prospects because now they can participate as they intended. And for the reasons I just said, that participation matters a ton. I like it a lot. I, I'll tell you what I don't like. I don't like this, this, the fact that that was even necessary. The fact that your rant was even necessary. I don't like the fact that we have minimized the combine as if somehow the combine's only purpose is to kind of push forward prospects like Mike, Mike Mamula, right? Like that's it. Like people think that, well, you know, we rely on the combine for things. That's how you end up with Mike Mamula, right? You have the, the old school um, people who are, you know, tape fanatics and that's great. We're all tape fanatics. We love tape, but this idea that there aren't qualifiers, that there aren't archetypes. And we talk a lot about archetypes when it comes to teams, and teams have specific, it's been stated over and over and over again by people who worked in the league that there are archetypes for teams. They go, listen, we we won't look at a cornerback who's under 5'8", or we won't look at an end who's under this arm length, or we won't look at a tackle. Like It's been proven time in and time again by anyone who's come out of scouting that there are teams, lots of teams, who have specific barometers for those things. Where else are you going to get accurate measurements on those things? You you got to get it at the combine because you don't know if you're going to show up to their pro day. You might get the, the stuff sent to you, but we all know that we don't like the 40 times and there are thresholds for these things for teams. So for me, I just can't wrap my head around the concept that the combine doesn't matter. We, we, we colloquially call it the underwear Olympics, right? But almost condescendingly so. Do we call it the underwear Olympics as if somehow nothing that happens in the combine matters? First off, the medical is the most important part of the combine, right? And we don't see any of it, but teams absolutely scoop up. And I say it a million times. If you get to draft day and you cannot for the life of you figure out why someone has fallen so far, it's medical. It's almost always medical. Sometimes it's off the field stuff we didn't know about, but a ton of times way more often than not it's medical where do you think they got that information they got it from the medical checks the one of the one most recent one maurice hurst from michigan he just kept falling and falling and falling and falling and then mm -hmm. he realized he had the heart condition mm -hmm. and star Lutulele had the exact same thing happen to him he didn't fall as nearly as far as maurice hurst did but this is why it matters so the stuff that we put a lot of stock into, which is like 40 times. We love putting stock into 40 times. Bench press reps, even though we shouldn't. I could go on a completely different rant about bench press reps, and you and I have talked about that before. But the things we put stock into might seem a little less meaningful, a little more trivial, but the stuff the NFL puts stock into still matter just as much. And collection of data, like you said, you can't be pro-analytics and be anti-combine. So the fact that that rant is even necessary is kind of frustrating, but 
together we will fight back, Joe. We will fight back against the anti-combine people. Also, it makes for absolutely riveting television, and I absolutely love it. Joe, thank you so much for being here, man. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your Friday evening, especially because you're going to be a busy man next week, and you're going to have content out there. You're going to be live right there. Like You're going to be at the combine, right, next week? Yeah, I'm leaving leaving on Monday morning, and I'll be there through the weekend. So next week in Indy, wish me well. It's always very, very cold, and I struggle in the cold. So I know that's probably a a very um, lack of uh, awareness to my audience, considering probably most of the people (laughs) listening are in Western New York, but uh, I'm not. And um, as somebody who hasn't lived in Western New York since 1996, I get cold. And so Indianapolis is always a challenge for me. It, Bruce, you know it. You know it. I've, you and I have had personal conversations mm-hmm. about what I'm supposed to do in the cold. And you gave me some great advice, but I struggle with it. And um, that's always a big challenge for me in Indianapolis. Well, I appreciate before your big trip, you taking the time out to be on the show. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media, what you're up to, where that combine content's going to be coming from, and just a second. Yeah, I appreciate that, Bruce. Uh, A lot of content coming out all the time, and so the best spot to be aware of all of it is to follow me on Twitter at the Joe Marino. Um, All the draft stuff is over at thedraftnetwork.com. You can follow the Draft Network on Twitter, and then, of course, Locked On Bills, daily podcast on the Buffalo Bills. It's uh, free and available on all platforms, so wherever you are listening to Food for Thought or the Bruce Exclusive, you can also find Locked On Bills, and we're also on YouTube, so uh, check us out over there. We just started on YouTube this is our first full week. It was a really great week. I enjoyed it, and I'm excited to uh, do some some more things on YouTube in the coming weeks that are exclusive. We'll do live mock drafts and Q&As and all that kind of stuff. So check out Lockdown Bills on YouTube in addition to the podcasting mediums that you already enjoy. Well, folks, we did it. We did all the things, and Nate wasn't even here. And I, you know what? I'll level with you. I think Joe was right. I think this is the best episode mm. of Food for Thought that's ever been. And you know what? Nate, sorry, you just you just missed out. And sometime when you have a guest on and I'm not around, you won't be able to top it. So that's the way it is. Sorry. But for those of you who are in the comment section and for those of you listening around the world, then I'd like to say three things to you. I hope you're full. I hope you enjoyed your stay with us. And I hope you didn't leave hungry. <laughs>